for uh, being flexible with us today. Open your Bibles, if you would, to uh, Psalm 77. And as you're turning there, I wanted to uh, give kind of a word of explanation. We, uh, it was mentioned earlier that uh, we were counting up the number of families who are on vacation of one type or another. And we came up with the number 13 families that were out today. And so um, we were, uh, oh, oh, me of little faith, I, I wondered um, if it might not be better to be crowded together where we could hear one another sing rather than spread out where uh, we can uh, hear only ourselves. And I think that maybe is self-serving because I would rather hear you sing than me sing. And so maybe that's uh, part of it. But I thought it would be a good thing for us to be together. And, and so uh, anyway, I just wanted to acknowledge that it's a little warm in here. And sorry about that. And we had to carry some extra chairs. Thank you for those who did that and for those who were flexible uh, in doing that. We are um, doing the best we can here today. And so we will learn our lesson. And uh, praise God for his faithfulness in bringing uh, you all here today. Uh, you have turned in your Bible to uh, Psalm 77. And uh, today we're going to work through that and see what the Lord has for us. So let's. I'm going to read that to us and follow along in your Bibles. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and He will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. Selah. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Selah. Then I said, I will appeal to this to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You with your arm redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph, Selah. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled 
and shook. Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, again, we come into your presence as a group this morning, as a church. That we get to join together in prayer and come before you in this fashion is a blessing, is glorious, is a privilege. Father, this morning we come with baggage that we bring of one sort or another. And we may uh, not personally be going through such a hard time that we would say our soul refuses comfort, or perhaps we are. But either way, I pray that you, by your Spirit, would speak to us from your Word and minister to our hearts. Minister in our lives. Convict us of sin. Encourage us of what it is we have in Christ. Empower us, even by the things that we learn today, to to love you and love one another. Teach us what you have for us from your word today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Another one of the reasons we were uh, wanting to be close together today in uh, this kind of fashion is because uh, many of you have heard, and if you've not, uh, you can hear now that, that uh, Woody has resigned, not just from the elder board, but from the church, and is no longer employed here, and, uh, and has, uh, will be moving on to a different church, and, and that saddens us all. And again, if, you, if you're not uh, a part of this, you've not been a part of what has gone on, I'm not going to explain it all, but there's no uh, misdeed on his part, or anything at all like that. We love him, and would love to have him here uh, with us, but um, we've gone through some, some real challenges in the past few months, and the result of which is that he uh, felt the need, he felt it would be best for the congregation and, and uh, best for his family um, if he were to move on. And so he has resigned his position. And many of you uh, uh, got word of that this week. And so I wanted to be close to you. I didn't want to be standing uh, yards from you uh, in the pulpit and have you out there and scattered, and sometimes it can be a little bit distant, and um, and this is more intimate. Certainly, that's the case, and so, um, but even it was those that circumstance that really brought me to want to speak on this passage today, and I think it speaks to where we are. And so, my prayer is, my hope is that as we work through Psalm 77, uh, we will see that even though perhaps we're in a dark place, uh, perhaps even a very dark place, and maybe, maybe it's got to do with circumstances no, nobody else even knows about. I, I don't know uh, what you're going through. I don't know what you're facing and things like that. But my prayer, my trust is that God will speak to us from his word here today. And so I think um, we can all identify with times when our soul is in deep need of comfort and we find it hard to find. So we want to see what this passage has for us today. And so we've broken it down into 
four different sections. And the first section is regarding troubling days. Troubling days, and we don't know exactly what circumstances uh, Asaph, the psalmist here, was going through. We don't know quite what he was dealing with, but, uh, but they were troubling. They were pretty intense. And, and I want to notice right off the bat that uh, he starts off in verse 1. He says, I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. Spurgeon notes that you can never go wrong by starting with prayer. And how often do we, when we're going through difficult times, when we're going through painful times, how often do we resort to prayer as the eighth thing that we've done, and not the first thing? That often we will talk to our spouse, often we will talk to our friend, often we will uh, uh, go to someone else, or even just ponder it in our heart and not take it to the Lord in prayer. And he starts off here, he says, I cry aloud to God, aloud to God. He's not even just praying in his heart. I tend to pray uh, silently. I, I, tend to, I tend to pray just in my own heart. And he says here that actually his voice has entered into it. It's, it's gotten serious enough that he's talking out loud to God about this. So he starts off, I, I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. And that's like we read so often in the Psalms. That's a statement that the psalmist knows where this is going to go because he knows the truths. He knows that God answers. He knows that God answers prayer. But that doesn't keep him from praying. That doesn't cause him to pray any less earnestly. It doesn't cause him to, to pray uh, any more uh, uh, specifically. What's well, a better word than that? Calmly. I don't know. Boring. Like apathetic. Oh, God's going to answer anyway, so I'll just offer up this prayer. No. He knows God will answer, so he enters in fully into his prayer. And so... We have a situation here where we don't know the circumstances, and, and, and really the circumstances don't matter all that much, but, but we have a circumstance here where he could, he could complain about his situation, but instead of complaining, he turns it into prayer. And I think even before we get out of verse 1, there's instruction and, and uh, something that's a good application for us already. How often do we take our complaints laterally? How often do we take our complaints and, and go to other people with them? How often do we take those complaints and just ruminate in our hearts and we find ourselves growing bitter? But the psalmist instead takes it to God because he knows the truth that he will hear me. Verse 2. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. It sounds great. It sounds like he's on exactly the right path. We're, we're about to see encouragement because he's seeking the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. There, there are some wounds that can't be lightly healed. There, there are some ailments, some infections that, that need to be laid bare, that take a long time to be healed. There are wounds that need to be stitched on the inside before they're stitched on the outside. And we look at each other and, and uh, we just want to close that thing up because it's, you know, it's got to be painful and it sure is ugly to look at. <laughs> so let's close that up. Let's zip that thing up. And we, we actually haven't dealt with the wound itself. So he, he's taking it to the Lord, but it's not a simple thing. He says, in, in the night my hand is stretched out without wearying. That means he's reaching for God, finding nothing. And he keeps going. 
It keeps reaching. You keep searching. You've been there. I've been there. Particularly when you, when you wake up at night and, and you know these things that are true, but so, uh, somehow you're having trouble finding comfort from God, though you're crying out, you're reaching out, and that's what's happening here. He says, my soul refuses to be comforted. I tried to stitch it together right on the outside. I tried to patch it together, and it's still laying bare. Verse 3. When I remember God, I moan. That's not what we would expect. We expect when we read the Psalms, when I remembered God, everything was wonderful. When I thought of God, everything fell into place. We see that again and again in the Psalms, where, where the, the psalmist is, is working through this difficulty and he begins to think about God and, and suddenly it all falls into place. And God who is almighty and this thing is good and God will take care of us in and, and Romans 8.28 and, and we can move forward. Sometimes the journey to get there is a little bit longer. And he says here, when I, when I remember God, I didn't immediately have relief. I moan. And I can tell you, I have people come into my office and, and going through difficult things in life and very, very hard things in life. And, and so as a pastor, I want to point them to Christ. And I do. And I, I point them to God. And I, and I do. And, and, and sometimes when it's really bad, that almost falls on deaf ears, not because they don't want to hear it, but because that's not the entire solution to the problem. There's more that needs to be considered. There's, there's more time need to be taken in dealing with that injury. So he says, when I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. Can you imagine? We're not talking about a run-of-the-mill difficult situation. You know, the, the run-of-the-mill problem that you have, the solution is, is that you're trying to get the person to look to Christ. You're trying to get the person to think of God and remember God that He is in control. And, and that helps many, many times. And, and a lot of times, the, the problem is that the person is just not thinking of God. They're not, they're not remembering God. They're just thinking about their situation all the time. They're just going over this problem. And, and they refuse to, 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 to think of God. But the psalmist here says, no, I, I turned and thought of God. Didn't help right away. That's a real problem. And that's a real difficulty. That's a that's a real sickness. That's a real wound and a real hardship that the psalmist here is going through. So we have these troubling days. Maybe you're going through some troubling days. The psalmist is honest. The psalmist is always honest. So it moves on to the second paragraph here. It's not resolved yet. Maybe we're going to turn the corner, but we see actually in the second paragraph, he's questioning hope. He's questioning hope. Look at verse 4. You hold my eyelids open. Have you lost sleep over a problem? Oh, yeah. In, in, in the way he's looking at it here, the way he sees it, it's actually God holding his eyelids open. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. Some of you can't imagine that. Like you can always talk. You can always talk through a problem. You can always, you can always speak. You can always uh, verbalizing the situation helps you and things like that. Well, this situation is so bad I can't even speak. He says, 
I can't verbalize that. I can't process it. I can't figure it out. I lay awake at night, I'm reaching out for God. No immediate solution. I can't even speak. And then he says, I consider the days of old, the years long ago. There are a couple ways we could think about this. Maybe he's thinking back to those good old days when, when, uh, when God came through in a difficult problem, and he's going to do that again. Now, that's often what we need to remind ourselves. We, when we face a difficulty, we go through a, a real hardship in life, we can think back to other times when God has taken care of us. He has taken us through those things. We ought to think that way. We ought to remember those times. But I don't, I don't think that's where the psalmist is going here. I think what the psalmist is saying is, off the good old days, when things were easy, when it was all working together, when we were firing on all cylinders, when God had delivered us, God had done great things, and, and, and remember the good old days? It's like he's pining away for those good old days, which Ecclesiastes 7.10, we read, Say not, why were the former days better than these? It's not from wisdom that you ask that question, says the, psalm, uh, says the author to, uh, of the Ecclesiastes, uh, Solomon there. So pining for the good old days, when things were good, that's not going to help you. And it doesn't help him either. He begins to ask questions. Uh, he, he, he's going to remind himself of some things. So here in verse 6, he says, I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Right? So he's going to think about it. He's going to remember his song. He's doing right things. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Now, there are a couple ways that we can think about what is to follow. Either the psalmist is asking himself questions that he knows the answer to so that he can be reminded of what is true. Just thinking about this. I, I asked this question. No, that's a silly question. It's almost a rhetorical question because I know the answer. So I asked the next question about God. And, and, and that's a rhetorical question also. I know this answer, but I don't, I don't think that's what's going on. There's a transition going to happen in the psalm where he's dealing with the awful things, and he's going to turn and, and, and move towards hope. We often find that. We almost always find that in the psalms. The question is exactly where is that turning point? I don't think that turning point is yet, and I'll explain why in a minute. He, he's asking these questions, and I think for him in the moment, these are legitimate questions, not rhetorical questions. Not the kind of question that you ask uh, your four-year-old because you want them to get this easy answer so that you can lead them to the next train of thought. I think in this moment, remember, he has cried out to God, and has he gotten help? No. He's, he's calling out to God, and he's not yet... Found help. I think these questions are the questions weighing on his mind. Yeah, he knows the Sunday school answer. Don't we know the Sunday school answer? Does the Sunday school answer always carry the day when it's miserable? Well, it's a true answer. There's more to think about. And that's, I think, what is going on here. Look at verse 7. Will the Lord spurn forever? I think he's asking that question and letting it hang for a minute. He's not rushing past it to give the, oh, the answer. No, of course he won't spark further. No, no. Don't even ask the question. 
don't think he's doing that. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Think about what that would be like. Think about the kind of dejection, the kind of misery that you'd have to begin to ask that question. And I think that's where the psalmist is. Has his steadfast love forever ceased? That would be no hope. Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? I, th I think perhaps he feels like God has forgotten to be gracious. Perhaps you feel like God has forgotten to be gracious. Maybe you've been in that kind of depth. Maybe you're in that kind of depth right now. Has his anger shut up his compassion? Have I seen all the compassion I'm going to get from God? Have I seen the end of God's faithfulness? The end of God's mercy? I think he's asking those questions and letting them hang. I don't think he's trying to heal this lightly. I think these are legitimate questions. Now, we, as we sit here and as we think of Scripture, and, and, and probably the, the answers that came to the psalmist's mind are the same ones that come to our mind. Though we don't want to give flippant answers, we want to give answers. And there are answers to these questions. Will the Lord spurn forever? Well, Psalm 94, verse 14 says, The Lord will not forsake his people. He will not abandon his heritage. No. He will not spurn forever. Will he never again be favorable? According to Lamentations 3.32, though he causes grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. There is an answer. There is an answer to this question, though we shouldn't give it too lightly. What about the next one? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Well, Psalm 103, verse 17, the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. Steadfast love doesn't end, psalmist. Steadfast love doesn't end, Christian. Are his promises at an end for all time? Well, Hebrews 6 tells us it's impossible for God to lie. We who have fled to him for refuge, have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. God keeps his promises. Has God forgotten to be gracious? The Lord passed before Moses in Exodus 34 and verse 6, and he promised, or he proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And he cannot deny himself. God is faithful and he keeps his promises. Has God has his anger shut up his compassion? Of course, Lamentations 3, 22 and 23 the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. So the Bible gives answers to these questions, but, but for you and me and the, the situation we're going through or maybe someone we're talking with those questions, though we have answers, we shouldn't rush to answer them before we assess their weight. 
that these, I think, are the questions that were keeping him awake. And these are the questions, I think, that cause us problems as well. That we wonder, yeah, I read in the Bible God's faithful, but really? I read in the Bible that God does good things. Maybe I don't see God doing good things. So I begin to question. So the Bible gives answers. But questions like this can torment the person who's going through the valley. And for them, these are real questions. And we should not rush past them. Well, we move on to the next paragraph, and this is where I think the transition happens. He said, remember God's ways. Look at verse 10. Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. Now, if you have a different version, this verse might read differently because it's very, very difficult to translate. It's, a, it's, it's, it's hard to know what exactly is being said here, but the way I understand it, is kind of like the King James has it. The King James, which I, I think reflects the transition that happens here, he says, this is my infirmity. What has come before, all of this problem, this is what I'm dealing with. This is my problem. This is my sickness. This is my ailment. This is my infirmity. But I will remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. Yes, I have this actual problem. This actually is my infirmity. This is the difficult thing I'm going through, and there is a way out. I will remember all of the years of God's faithfulness. Now, he's tried that. Maybe he's tried that a lot. But what he's saying here is that is the path to encouragement. That is the path to faith. That is the path to us being built up, is remembering God's faithfulness. And so he's going to do that. He's going to, he's going to work through in, uh, in, in this, this next paragraph here. He says, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. He's going to say remember a lot in here. He's going, to, he's going to talk about calling to mind, mulling these things over, meditating on them. Because they're true and they're encouragements. And just sending out Romans 8.28 doesn't save the day, but it's the pondering, it's the remembering, it's the playing over and over in your mind the truths of what God has done. Therein lies hope. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work. You getting the repetition? He's going to think about it. He's going to, he's going to memorize. He's going to study. He's going to mull it over in his mind. He's going to have that filling up his mind. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. He's going to commit himself to remembering, to reminding himself what God is like. In other words, he, he's going to ransack Scripture for encouragement. He's going to plunder the Bible to find examples of God's faithfulness, of God's dealing, of God's power, of God's work with his people. And he's going to remember that. He's going to pull it out and he's going to make it his own. Remember when God did that? That's the God I serve. He is faithful like that. He is compassionate like that. He gives healing like that. So he commits himself. He's going to look into Scripture to see what God has done. And then he's going to take stock of what God is like. We continue on, verse 13. What do we learn about God when we read about him in Scripture? What do we, what do we learn of him? He says, your way, O God, is holy. 
What God is great like our God? I mean, really. Our God is holy. Our God is almighty. Our God saves. Our God forgives. Our God works even in history. Your way, O oh God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. This isn't just some private little thing that some believers in the corner of the world felt something special about God and therefore they thought God was special. He was working his wonders amongst the peoples for all to see. You think about the history of Israel. You think about God's working with his people. He, it's not just a, a sense, a feeling, a, a, a religious experience that certain people have, and therefore they follow this God. Yes, we have religious experiences. We have feelings about God. We, we have internal things like that. And this God works in nature. He works in history. Not just some personal thing. And so he takes stock of what God is like. He is holy. He is incomparable. He works miraculously. He is all-powerful. And he has worked redemptively in time and space in bringing Israel out of captivity in Egypt. Verse 15. You with your arm redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. It was demonstrated before the peoples in a massive way in the Exodus with miraculous signs and wonders, with, with powerful workings and, and incredible things for all to see. It wasn't done in order. It wasn't done in a dark room. It wasn't done just in the recesses of someone's heart. It was done on the world scale. So God was at work. He has done this. This is what our God is like. He has worked in that, in that way. He is holy. He is incomparable. He is all-powerful. He is wise. And he works to redeem his people. So remember God's ways. We move on to the final section here. Revisit God's redemption. He starts in verse 16, and he's going to, he's going to work through and discuss here. I believe these are this is the events that, that were involved in the Exodus itself. I spent some time reading through Exodus chapter 14 just to refresh myself on, on the events that, that went on. And, and so I, this is what the psalmist is thinking about. So you have to imagine the picture of what's going on in this situation. If you want to go back and read Exodus uh, chapter 14, it will, it will be a great encouragement for you uh, this afternoon even to go back and read that. But you remember the story. Of course, the people have been enslaved in Egypt for uh, 400 plus years. They've finally been brought out and the plagues have happened and, and now they have been told to leave. Pharaoh has told them to leave and so they're exiting the country. They're, they're running away but then of course Pharaoh changes his mind like he does every time. Changes his mind, he's going to kill them now. So he's got his army and he's chasing them down. He wants to kill them. He wants to destroy them or at the very, very least re-enslave them. But he is after them. And they're running and he's chasing and if you remember what's going on, the, the, uh, the, the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night was leading. And so they're, they're, they're running out and they're, they're, they're being chased by this army and then they come right up against a barrier. They come right up to the Red Sea. And they, and they stop and they look out at the water ahead of them. And then they look back at the chariots charging behind them. And they think, where are we going to go now? We're lost. We're stuck. 
at this very place of that moment where they're their, their, their toes are in the water as it were, and they're looking forward and they're seeing there is deliverance, but there's water in the way and I can't get there. And there is destruction and there's less and less distance between me and destruction. They're going to catch us. They're going to kill us. They're going to destroy us. And so, if you remember what happened in that story, there they were in a panic. There they were stuck about to die. They knew it. They just knew it. How could there be any other conclusion but that we're going to die right here? And so they cry out to God and they start fussing at Moses. They start complaining to him about this is just what we said would happen, Moses. We said it was better to serve the Egyptians in Egypt than come out here and die in the wilderness. Weren't there enough graves in Egypt yet to bring us out here to kill us? They're hopeless. They're dejected. Their life is at an end. They knew it. So, Moses prays. And actually, if you turn in your Bible, I was noticing as I was reading this, again, Exodus 14, reading through this story again, After they've just complained their great complaint of verse 12, this wouldn't be the last time they grumbled. We read in verse 13, Moses said to the people, catch this, fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. Fear not, stand firm, See the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. This is what Moses, the man of God, said to the people who were about to die, and they knew it. Fear not. Stand firm see the salvation of the Lord. And of course, you remember uh, what happened here. The Lord says to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the people to move. Start walking. Lift up your staff. Stretch it, your, out your hand over the sea. And you remember what God did. God did a couple of things. First, the, the angel of the Lord went around behind the Israelites, between the Israelites and danger, the Egyptians, and stood in the way to block the Egyptians from catching up. And then God opened up a path right through the middle of that sea that was their destruction. So that they could walk through on dry land. That's God's deliverance. That's what God did. And so here you've got the angel of God, this fire and, and, and cloud and lightning and danger standing between God's people and those who were chasing them down and he opens up a path right through the Red Sea itself. Well, that's what's in, that's what's in Asaph's mind. But let's, let's go ahead and uh, look through what he actually says about it in verses 16 through 20. He's reflecting, he's just said, uh, talking about uh, the people being redeemed, the children of Jacob and Joseph. This, is, this seems to be what he's talking about here and we we, we get to the point here. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. 
You ever looked around for God and not found him? Of course you can't see God. You know that theologically. No one has ever seen God. But, but in this situation, in this dark trouble where you can't see what God is doing, you're reaching out for him. You're trying to find him. You're crying out to him. You want to know where God's deliverance is. And you can't see him. I love how the psalmist starts here. When the waters saw you, they were afraid. The waters, even though the people of Israel standing on the shore didn't see God, they thought they were going to die. But the waters saw God, meaning God was at work even though they couldn't see him. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. Was God at work? Oh, man. To deliver his people in glorious ways. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. God was at work in massive, glorious ways. And three minutes earlier, they were complaining to Moses, were there not enough graves in Egypt yet to bring us out here to kill us? You should have just left us in slavery. We were happy there. Three minutes later, this is what they see happening. Of course, I don't know if it's three minutes, but you, 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 they see God at work. They had doubted that God would deliver them, and now they see God at work in massive ways. And get, get this, verse 19, your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters. So there they were standing with their back to the army, looking out at this water and, and wanting to go across, but realizing they couldn't. They were an entire people. It wasn't three guys who could swim across or build a raft or, or anything like that. It was a whole nation. They were done for. The water before them was judgment. The water before them was destruction. The water before them was death. And so was the army behind them. And where was God's path? Did God beam them out of there? Think, think about what God did. That, that water, when they, when they came up to that water, that water meant death. God opened a path. They walked right through that water. Going through that path, following that path, is where they found deliverance. It was where they found redemption. That was where they found God at work. I love how he concludes verse 19. Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. They, they still couldn't see exactly what God was doing. It's not like they could track God following his footprints. It, it, it wasn't as if Oh yeah, we knew all along what God was doing. He said we were going to go here, and we're going to right, and we're going to go across, and He's going to part the water. And none of that. They still were a little bit blind, weren't they? They couldn't see God's footprints. They were hidden, and yet God had opened up this way of deliverance, and so they went through. God had told them to do so, and so they went through it. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. We need to revisit. God's redemption. So the psalmist working through his 
dark night of the soul, reminds himself of what God is like. Goes back through scripture to remember who God really is and how he acts. Not just in the human heart. Not just in that place in your soul. He does so in history. And he actually delivers his people in ways that sometimes others get to watch and sometimes causes problems for others like Pharaoh. He's, he's reminding himself and he goes back to what is the, the biggest point of deliverance that, that the Old Testament has. God rescuing his people out of Egypt where they've been in slavery all this time. Well, that, that image of the Exodus is used again and again in the New Testament. It's used again and again in later Old Testament, like in this passage here. But you get to the New Testament and you begin to see that it was a picture. It really happened. The water really parted and, and the Egyptian army really died and the people really did walk through on dry ground, but it was, it was a picture of something even greater than that. It was a picture of, of God's deliverance, not of perhaps a few million people from, from some kind of earthly slavery or earthly death. But it was God's greater deliverance of sinners like you and me from the judgment that we deserve. When you think about the, the imagery of the Exodus and how it applies to us that, that there we were being chased, being we, we deserved to be crushed by, and we were slaves to sin, deserving its judgment, earning its judgment again and again by the things that we did and thought and said. And it was after us. And, and the best we could hope for in that condition is to live a long life. You remember what Jane Eyre said when uh, a self-righteous uh, preacher came and, and asked her, you know where wicked little girls go, don't you? Yes, they go to hell. So then the preacher said, what must you do not to go to hell? She said, I must remain healthy and not die. <laughs> that's, that's, the best thing, that's the best you can hope for. With, with, with sin chasing you, being a, a slave of sin, <clears throat> the best you can hope for is never to run up against the Red Sea, that point of judgment, that time when it's all over, where you've got sin chasing you from behind and, and, and then you're going to die and face God's judgment for your sin. Right up against that water and and, and, and what's the option before you? Where is deliverance? There you are with, with your sin and your guilt and, and, and all of that. And, and, and you run right up to that point of God's judgment. You consider it and you think there's no way out. But then we remember what God did through Moses when he, when he made a way right through the waters of judgment. He, he made a way for us to walk through on dry ground. And that, of course, is Jesus himself who took upon himself the judgment that we deserve. That, that the, the, the waters of judgment there were poured fully on Christ so that the water is still there. He bore it in his own body on the tree. So that, by means of that, by God's wrath being poured out on him fully for my sin, he opens up a way right through the wrath of God so that actually the deliverance that is mine, the way out goes right through judgment. 
Because Jesus took that judgment upon himself. And for anyone who will trust in Christ, for anyone who will take that way, they have life eternal. They have peace with God. They, they find their sins are paid for by the sacrifice of Christ. They find that they magically, wonderfully, miraculously go right through on dry ground with mountains of water around them. With God's judgment, and yet they are safe and secure and brought out the other side. And so... This picture that the psalmist is looking back on is, is actually a pointing forward to something greater that you and I get to look back on. And that's Christ himself and the redemption that he gives, which is so much greater than the, the ten plagues. So much greater than all that was seen when we go through Exodus and see how God delivered his people. It was so much more wonderful, though it took place on a cross. The wrath of God being poured out on Jesus himself. So much greater. And so the psalmist himself finds his way out of that place of darkness by reminding himself repeatedly of who God is and what he's done. And most especially by focusing on the redemption that Christ has accomplished. That God would save his people from their slavery points us to Jesus who saves his people from their bondage to sin and from the penalty they deserve. And by, by thinking about him, by reminding ourselves about him, we go back to those questions that were asked earlier. Will the Lord spurn forever? Of course not. He gave his son for you. You, you may face an extended dark night. You may face troubles that you think will crush you. But he will not spurn forever. He will again be favorable. And he will see you through this, this trouble that you're going through in life. Just like he saw the nation of Israel through the Red Sea. And just like he saw you, sinner, through the judgment of God in Christ. So... What can you not do in light of the current darkness you face? A couple of points of application. Instead of complaining about troubled times, take them to God in prayer. That's where the psalmist started. He started in prayer. You and I need to do that too. When something happens that disturbs me, my tendency is not to talk about it. My tendency is to keep it right in here. And, it, and it, I kind of mull it over. I kind of worry it. You know, I kind of, and, and then it just, I can turn bitter. I can turn hopeless. I can struggle that way. Some people, when they face trouble, the first thing to do is, well, let me tell you about my troubles. And they dump them out to each other, and, and it's their processing or their whatever. What's the... They're trying to work through it or whatever. <laughs> when we need to go to God first. There are times we can talk to each other. There are times we need to keep our mouth shut. But we should always be going to God with this. And so, let's turn these over to the Lord in prayer. Take them to Him that we would again and again bring our needs, though they be dark and heavy, before our Savior. 
Secondly, take the tough questions to the Lord in prayer as well. We should never be afraid of the hard questions. Scripture has an answer. But there are some questions that Scripture doesn't answer. A lot of the why questions. Why did this happen in my life? Why is it like this? You don't always have answers to that stuff. Sometimes the Lord is good is about the extent of the answer. But so many times the questions we have, like the questions the psalmist had right here, we, we, we think they're, they're too heavy. Now, they're on our heart. But we think they're too heavy to voice to God, like it would be unfair or it would be uh, uh, something like that, like, like we're you know, uh, not being faithful to God if we ask that hard question. Take those hard questions to the Lord. Go into His Word and see if you can find answers to those hard questions. And where the Bible answers your questions, this is the point I think that we, we sometimes skip out on. First of all, we're hesitant to ask the question because we think it would, it would be disloyal of us or something to ask that hard question. And once we might do that, we ask that hard question, and then and we take it to the Lord and say, I've got this question. I don't, I don't understand what to do with it. Then, then, we, then we go to the Word and we try and learn the answer to it. Well, sometimes we go to the Word and we don't like the answer. So we kind of close up that conversation and move on, right? When the fact is, where Scripture reveals the answers to these questions, we are bound to believe the answer, to obey the answer. It's God's word. So let's take even those hard questions to God in prayer. And finally, remember God's mighty works as displayed in the Bible. We read and read and read, and right now I'm reading in, in 1 Kings, and, and, uh, and you can get in the, in the weeds in some of those places where you're, you can't keep this king straight, and is it that kingdom, or this, what's going on in your... But, you work through it, you try to understand it, but what you're doing is you are reminding yourself what God is like. You are learning who this God is, not just the content of the Bible as if you were studying for a quiz. Remind God, yourself of God's mighty works as displayed in the Bible, how he worked miraculously to deliver Israel ultimately out of Egypt. And he continued working with them, though they were faithless. Remind yourself by by looking at Scripture, that, that even as, as wonderful and massive as that deliverance was, that was small potatoes compared to our deliverance in Christ. The redemption that we have in Him, taking upon Himself the penalty, penalty for our sin, bearing it to the fullest in His own body. Could there be any work of God greater? There could not. So remind yourself of the truth of the deliverance that we have in Christ and here's, here's a wonderful thing. Not only did he do that, not only did he pay that penalty years ago on the cross, but even now, he applies that redemption to sinners like you and me. Brings it right home to the heart of people like you and like me for all who will put their faith in Christ. So I got to be at John Baker's funeral yesterday. And uh, many of you knew John, and uh, there was—it's—it's it's always sad to uh, lose someone you've known for a long time and prayed for a lot and loved. But there, there was a there's a joy because of the fact that the end of his life, he came to realize this truth. He came to realize that 
that he really was up against the waters of the Red Sea. The day's coming, and the army's chasing him. And praise God, he recognized that path through on dry ground, that he trusted Christ, even at the end, found deliverance and peace with God. So these are troubled days and sleepless nights for many of us. And God's footprints are hidden from us. What exactly is God doing? I don't know. Where exactly is he going? I don't know. He tells us a number of things in Scripture, but his footprints are hidden. When we can't find relief from the trouble and our soul refuses to be comforted, let's, let's learn from this psalm and pray more. Look into the Bible for answers to our our questions we're even afraid to voice to one another. Let's remember the ultimate answer that's found in Christ's redemptive work. But though we struggle greatly in this life, in this moment, in this dark place perhaps that we find ourselves, we have peace with God. A peace that lasts through all circumstance, through all of life, no matter how hard it might get, and lasts for all eternity. So let's keep our head there. Let's keep reminding ourselves of that. Let's keep returning to the Lord in prayer and trusting Him that He has delivered His people Israel. And he has delivered His own people in Christ so that we have peace with God. And that doesn't diminish. That doesn't take away the reality that hardships we go through can be horrific. I look around the room and I know that in your own lives. But the reality of God's redemption in Christ is even greater. So let's turn our eyes to Him. Let's remind ourselves of that and let's submit ourselves to God trusting that He who delivered His people like that can deliver me in this very situation as well. Though I don't see His footsteps, I get to see His deliverance. Let's pray. Father, we recognize that the psalmist here went through very heavy and dark times, though we don't know the details. We don't need to because we can relate. And perhaps we're walking through something similar even now where we struggle to sleep. We struggle to put into words the thoughts and the troubles that keep us up at night. We we reach out and we haven't grabbed hold of you yet. And we ask questions that, that are real, that are difficult. I pray that you would remind us of Jesus. I pray that we would remind ourselves of Jesus. And I pray that we would remind one another of Jesus who has dealt with that greatest trouble that we couldn't deal with on our own, the trouble of our own sin, our own guilt before you, that he himself has made a path right through judgment that brings us out the other side at peace with you and with eternal life. So encourage us with these words. Work in our hearts by your spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name.
Amen. So, 